Being the first day of the year it means that some people are not present. I'm the substitute teacher. <laughs> it means that uh, you still have to pay attention. Uh, if you're a visitor here and you've made a New Year's resolution to come out to Calvary, you got to come back for the regular preachers. Um, now, uh, I'm thankful for the privilege to share uh, the thing that God has been t- had to teach me over and over and over again. That's the one message that I have. I'm a one-message kind of guy. And this is it. Gospel fuels discipleship. Now, as the crow crows three times, um, my outline has three parts. Uh, what is discipleship? What is the gospel? And finally, how do you get it? Now, we're going to look at that uh, from Mark 8. Now, the gospel according to Mark 8 uh, is found in the Bible, the second half of it. And uh, you can find the Bible in front of you. Uh, if you don't have one, we really believe that you ought to have one. Um, so we believe that as you make a New Year's resolution, that you would make the resolution to read it. That's very important for every person, be it a disciple or not, a follower of Jesus or not. Uh, if you don't have one, feel free to ask. Go to the Next Steps space. They'll give you one. It's free of charge. Uh, it's awesome to give away things that are uh, valuable things that I have absolutely no authority to. But there you go. Let's look at God, uh, Mark 8. Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, Get behind me, Satan. He said, You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. First, uh, what is discipleship? Discipleship is simply put, following uh, Jesus Christ. Following Jesus Christ. Following Jesus means so much more than being a student uh, in a lecture room. Following Jesus is so much more than being a follower on social media. Yeah, you're an Instagram follower. Uh, You're a Twitter follower. Uh, As Charles likes to offer quizzes, here's the first question. Discipleship is best described as, A, the job of the 12 original followers of Christ, B, missionary trained to do missions in a third world country. C, following Jesus Christ as Lord on his terms. D, an option that some very religious people choose. Here's a second question. When does discipleship begin? Right when you place faith in Jesus? Or B, when you decide to get really serious about following Jesus? Now, in Mark 8, 34 to 35, Jesus defines discipleship. He calls the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So there's at least two characteristics. Uh, There's a denying of self, and that's just not denying uh, eating turkey hole ice cream for breakfast, which I have done in my lifetime. 
or denying watching every sporting event on a Sunday. This is a denying of you making uh, yourself the center of your life. It's denying your will and all that it's cracked up to be. It is denying your way. The second characteristic is taking up your cross. And taking up your cross uh, means literally uh, putting yourself to death. Sacrifice. Like raw meat on public display. It was an excruciating, terror-filling thing. And hence offensive. No one ever said, take up your cross in polite conversation. Taking up one's cross means giving up your life, self-sacrifice. So giving up your will and giving up your life should characterize discipleship, what it means to follow after Jesus. That's why Jesus says over and over again uh, in these passages, lose your life, give up your life. That's why Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, uh, put your old self away. And in Colossians, he says, put to death your earthly nature, along with anger, malice, rage, and wrath. So keeping your life and keeping your will makes your life miserable, as well as everyone else's life around you. But Jesus says, denying your will, denying your will, and giving up your life is how to live life and how discipleship works best. Now, I was a professional single. <laughs> I went to so many formal and informal blind dates. I got married late. I had children late. I may look younger because I have Asian genes. <laughs> but, but I think I can say some of the following with some expertise and experience. The reason why I was single for a long time was because I was really arrogant. I thought that I was hot. I looked awesome on paper. I mean, I got the education, I went to Central High, I went to a Jewish university. Oh, man, I had it. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. My view of life was too centered on myself, my ideals, expectations. I looked so good, I thought I was so good that God had to just place that wonderful woman right into my, I didn't have to even work for it. Now, for those who are single and wanting to get married in here, and there's not many of you here today, for those of you who are, I'm going to tell you the most obvious thing. <laughs> you should not look for the guy who is self-centered and wanting to preserve his own life. Just don't want that. That is not a good characteristic of a potential spouse. Yes, I understand if you want a guy who wants to walk, you know, lovely, romantic walks on the beach, and a person who loves cats, I can understand that. <laughs> the thing is, look, a self-centered self-preserving kind of guy, you got to avoid that as much as possible. For those of us who are married, if one of the spouses is self-centered and wants to preserve his life, that's going to be a world of hurt. For those of us who have children, young or old, you know that we got to deny ourselves. We've got to deny our comforts. We've got to deny our bucket list. We've got to even self-sacrifice uh, our energy, so much of our energy. I had to sell my motorcycle for diaper money. And that's sacrifice. That's sacrifice. For those of us, see, keeping our lives and being self-centered will make our marriages dysfunctional. 
But for those of us who are uh, well-seasoned in life, for those who are my elders, trying to keep the life that you've been living, you want to, but it's so hard. And I know that you can never take it with you, but it feels so much better to hold on to some things. Now, I don't have that experience. But my guess is that when Jesus calls you to deny yourself and self-sacrifice, that he has some wisdom for you. For everyone, self-denial and self-sacrifice, that should characterize our lives. It should characterize what it means to be a disciple. So why should followers deny themselves and self-sacrifice? Why? Because Jesus says, number two, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? That question seems simple enough. But even folks who have been Christians a while have a difficult time providing a clear, concise definition of that. Uh, Jack Miller, former pastor in Glenside, PA, once asked the question, what is the gospel to Christian missionaries? And they could not give a brief, clear statement of the gospel. In some cases, they could not provide a lengthy statement either. D.A. Carson, a professor at Trinity Seminary in Chicago, the gospel says this, the gospel is not personal testimony. It is not our repentance. It is not a few words about our faith response. It is not obedience. Uh, it is not even a cultural mandate to go and make the world a better place. It is not any mandate to love your neighbor. <laughs> repentance, faith, and obedience are, of course, essential, but they are not the good news. So Jesus makes the gospel explicit. You'll see it in verse 31. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Then Jesus refers to his suffering, death, and resurrection as the gospel. You'll see it in verse 35. The disciple is to lose their life for me and for the gospel. The gospel is Jesus suffering, dying on the cross, and resurrecting. Once again, D.A. Carson says that, that is the heart, the core of the gospel, Jesus' death and resurrection. It's Jesus denying himself, sacrificing himself on the cross. The gospel must fuel discipleship. Now, as Jesus teaches uh, about the gospel, Peter misunderstands what the gospel is. He doesn't get it. Now, that happens not just in Mark 8. It happens in Mark 9 and Mark 10. It's like the movie Groundhog Day. Same thing, different day. Now, what surprised me about that pattern when I came across it some, I don't know, 17 years ago, is that it's not the Pharisees or the professional sinners who don't get the gospel. It's the disciples who said that they believed in Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. They didn't get the gospel. In Mark 8, Peter rebukes Jesus. And Jesus, he describes Peter's misunderstanding as this. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Peter is thinking only from man's perspective of what the gospel is. For Peter, instead of self-denial, is 
Uh, it is about his will and his way. Instead of self-sacrifice, it is about preserving his life, his family, his tribe. Now, in Mark 9, 32, all the disciples don't understand the gospel. They don't understand what Jesus is saying, the gospel, and they were afraid to ask him. So while the gospel meant that the greatest become the servant of all, disciples end up, what? Debating who among these geniuses is the greatest. In Mark 10, James and John takes greatness to blatant levels. Blatant levels. Now, James and John were not only part of the, the tremendous 12, they were part of the type 3 with Peter. They were not just part of the inner circle of Jesus. They were part of the inner part of the inner circle of Jesus. All 12 of them were heading towards Jerusalem, the royal city. They were thinking, Jesus is going there to restore the fallen throne and fallen kingdom of David. And they're thinking, as the Messiah, as the Messiah comes to power and authority, they're thinking, man, they're fantasizing. We want part of that power and authority for ourselves. So they ask the question, uh, would you do whatever we ask? They're asking for a blank check. John Calvin goes, huh, this is the bright mirror of vanity. Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Let each of us be vice president of paper and stapling, or at least give us a, a cabinet position. Other disciples were not liking Jesus, James and John calling shotgun first. And so they're arguing amongst themselves. Greatness was based upon power and authority. But Jesus says greatness was based on greater service. See, they were seriously out of line with Jesus. They were seriously out of line. And they were contradictory. Now, see, our culture and my own thinking is very much in lines with the disciples. See, we easily get angry with God when some things don't go our way. We become bitter. I think that the good news is really for our comfort. We think that being a Christian is about uh, making our lives better. We think that being a Christian is about our ability, our work. Coming out to church somehow makes us better than others, that following Jesus is keeping our lives and making it better. See, we make the gospel something about us. But Jesus, who denies himself, sacrifices himself. He says, that's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. The, co the gospel contradicts us and our culture. In the TV show Seinfeld, and I'm a student of Seinfeld, George Costanza is sitting at the same old restaurant, and he says this, it became very clear to me sitting out there today that every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. My life is the opposite of everything I wanted to be. Every instinct I have in every area of life, be it something to wear, something to eat, it's all been wrong. And Seinfeld sums up, if every instinct you have is wrong, the opposite would have to be right. See, I have the same experience. I grew up in a great Christian home. My dad was a great pastor, great parent. I went to full seven years of full-time seminary because I thought that, that 
More education meant I would be a better disciple. I'm still paying off those student loans. Dying. <laughs> I had a, then I had to rediscover the gospel. It's not like I didn't know the gospel. It's not like I wasn't saved as a child. But the, the gospel was not the functional operating system. It wasn't the central way that I thought. It wasn't what fueled my discipleship. So for nearly 30 years, I heard the gospel. But the way that I loved people wasn't really to love them. It was to get their approval. The way that I did ministry wasn't really out to love and care for people. It was to control people. I used to do ministry by yelling at people. It's a terrible way to do ministry. The way I thought about life and ministry was the exact opposite. It was about my control, my will, my performance. God had to, meet, God had to save me from that. The gospel was the exact opposite way that I thought. See, the gospel is not about our will. It is not about preserving our lives. The gospel is trying to get rid of our lives. The gospel wants us to live not for our greatness, but God's greatness. See, the gospel is about God's will, God's power, God's authority to rescue the weak, the lost, and unable. See, uh, that's, uh, there's a, uh, that's why Jesus had to over and over again repeat himself. He, had, he knew, he intentionally knew that the disciples were not getting it. So he intentionally repeated himself over and over again what the gospel is. Now, there's a benefit to this. There's a benefit to Jesus intentionally repeating the gospel. It's because uh, the disciples realized what the gospel was after Jesus went through the cross, went through his death and resurrection. And after they got that the death and resurrection was good news. They never forgot that they had forgotten so easily. They never forgot that they misunderstood and neglected the gospel so easily. So look at Peter's life. Peter was the one who vehemently committed to Jesus, I will follow you even if it is to my death. What happens immediately after that? Jesus says, you will deny me three times. Peter goes ahead and denies Jesus three times. And he weeps bitterly because of his failure. Years later, he writes in his second letter about the gospel. And what does he say there? It says three times. And I paraphrase. I am writing to you always to remind you of the gospel, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory of the gospel as long as I live. And the th third time, I will make every effort, even after I die, that you will always remember the gospel. Man, Peter is tenacious, tenacious. He never forgot that he so easily forgot. So what, 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 was, he, what was he gonna do? He was gonna tell them right there. And then as long as he's, gonna, he's alive, he's gonna tell them about the gospel. And then he's gonna try to figure out how to tell them the gospel after he dies. So one of my ideas is <laughs> the people that I get to disciple, I'm going to set up an email, like coding thing on Gmail so that after I die, 
Once a week, my Gmail account sends gospel reminders to people that I disciple. Use technology. So what must we do? What must we do first? We got to get the gospel clear so so that the gospel fuels our discipleship. Not our version of the gospel, but Jesus' version of the gospel. Second thing is we got to get the gospel regularly. Now on Sunday, Charles is going to preach, no matter where he begins, he's always heading towards the gospel, Jesus and his gospel. you got to listen carefully for that, because that's what makes a Christian. That's what makes the Christian life so good. Two is um, you ought to get together with other people. No matter how good the preaching here is on a Sunday, you ought to get together with other people. So that you would remind each other of what the gospel is. And that's part of the reason why Quakertown, uh, Calvary Quakertown, uh, wants to try to be better at connecting people to one another. Thirdly is um, you got to read the Bible for yourself. Because everywhere you read in the Bible, you're going to hear about the gospel. Now, uh, if you have a hard time figuring that out, uh, my encouragement is get disciple, get trained in it. Have others help you to grow in reading the Bible, praying so that you will get to the gospel. Now, if you don't know who to go to, go to the next step space. They will get you connected. Key is, is you got to get the gospel over and over and over again so that following Jesus will change us. The gospel needs to change us. Little by little, every day, the gospel needs to change us so that it will become not... Uh, great in our own power or ability, but we will become uh, a more acknowledging of our weakness and humility. So one, one of the main reasons why uh, visitors and uh, non-church people get turned off to church, the number one reason is probably church people who are judgmental and s- s- critical. They sense that in people. But why are we judgmental and uh, critical? It's because of personal superiority. We think we're so much better than we are. But how do you get over that? It's because the gospel has to humble us. Not our will, not our greatness, but Christ's greatness. There's a second thing. Little by little every day, just when you think that we are stretched and we cannot sacrifice anymore, the gospel would enter into our lives and says, you know what, look at all the ways that we are so self-centered. Look at all the ways that we're preserving our lives. And the gospel allows us to deny ourselves a little more, be a little more self-sacrificial, and that instead of competing for, uh, for our ego and for our greatness and our ambitions, even as believers, that we would serve humbly, quietly in the bridge ministry, putting out the coffee. I'm so thankful for coffee ministry here. Whoever you are, you are blessed. <laughs> you are blessed. Keep at it. Putting out the chairs, making the sacrifice to go to Calvary, Quakertown. Being a disciple to Jesus means denying self, carrying our cross. Because the gospel is Jesus denying himself and carrying his cross. Now, all this will really not matter until you get the gospel. you got to get the gospel. That's number three. How do you get it? Uh, what 
have we learned from Mark 8, 9, and 10? Uh, is there some principles to follow? Uh, or is Jesus simply an example to, to follow? Uh, it's like, well, because Jesus served this way, I ought to serve this way. Because Jesus was the greatest who served the most. I am the greatest, and I'll serve the most. Is that what you learn from Mark 8, 9, and 10? Is that how discipleship is going to be? Because if that's what you learn, you didn't get the gospel. See, denying yourself, serve so well so that God will accept you. No. But you know, if Jesus is merely an example, or he's trying to teach us some principles, that you know that we will fail. And if that's all that you get, that's, just, that's bad news. That's not good news. In Mark 10, the last time Jesus talks about his gospel for telling the suffering, death, and resurrection, he tells the disciples why he's doing it. Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man must give his life as a ransom for many. What does it mean that the disciples needed to be ransomed? <laughs> no, they didn't, their problem was not that they didn't follow a principle or they didn't follow Jesus as an example. There was a deeper problem than that. They needed to be ransomed, which means that they were captured, kidnapped, enslaved. Now, that's not easy to accept because in John 8, Jesus is talking to the Jews. And he says to the Jews this, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So people rejected Jesus and his truth, the gospel, because he had never been slaves of anyone, including sin. We never needed to be ransomed. See, they had the power and ability to save themselves. Sin was not an issue. But keeping yourself at the center, your power, your ability, keeping your life is bad news. See, don't you get that the good news is Christ at the center of your life and getting rid of your old life? Get rid of that self-centered life. Get rid of that self-centered, self-preserving mentality that's making you miserable and everybody else around you. See, get rid of that mentality of preserving your life that is destroying marriages. Get rid of just preserving your family that's destroying neighborhoods and communities. When you have Christ at the center, he changes you to deny yourself. Give up your life. So how do you get rid of your life and get a new one? You've got to place your faith in Jesus for the first time and for the thousandth time. Because when you do, what happens? You get united to Jesus. And Carlos preached on that two Sundays ago. So when you get united to Jesus, whatever happens to Jesus happens to you. And Jesus died on the cross, and your old self died with all of his self-centeredness and self-preservation. And when Jesus resurrected, you resurrected to a whole new life. A life of loving others, a life of denying ourselves, a life of self-sacrifice. See, uh, we disciples, we need the gospel to fuel our discipleship so that we can deny ourselves, submit our lives to Jesus in our singleness, in our marriages, in our parenting, 
in our church, in our neighborhood, especially for Calvary as it moves into Quakertown. I'm going to ask Carlos to come up and speak more about how the gospel fuels our discipleship in Quakertown. Carlos. So, as I said, <clears throat> Fuji, you've uh, been a big part in uh, helping us develop a, a process for discipleship. In fact, you've uh, done that process with the staff at Calvary Quakertown, uh, myself included. Uh, I will get you your homework eventually. So I will keep you to that. But that's a process that fuels it. Uh, one of the things that I think you made clear here is that it's not really about a, a process or a method. Well, good thing that I uh, spent all this time trying to finish this doctorate after uh, 15 years. Talk about procrastination. But one of the things I learned, especially through that process, is, is uh, every person has a, um, I guess, a method or a uh, program or uh, a way to train people. But there's so many good methods out there. Uh, there's so many ways of doing it that uh, my way is just one way. Um, uh, you know, I'm praying that Calvary would all the more develop its own way. But uh, there's so many ways, but um, you got to adjust it to the context. And uh, as long as the gospel uh, is what we hear, as long as we get tra train ourselves in growing the gospel and hearing the gospel and teaching ourselves uh, to get to the gospel, that's all that matters. So it's the value more than the method is what you're saying. Right. Awesome. <laughs> um, one of the things that we want to make clear with that, and the reason we say that is, as opposed to methods, is that what we do in Quakertown will revolve mostly around small groups and, and a certain discipleship process. What we do in Sourton might look a little different. Uh, there's women Bible studies or uh, men fraternity or uh, spiritual coaching. And so there's different ways. We don't want you to feel like there's, okay, discipleship is this A, B, and C thing that you have to go through. No, it's, as Fuji said, the gospel fuels discipleship. And so it's about the value of becoming more and more uh, like Jesus and becoming more and more uh, of that image of Jesus. So uh, I'm really grateful that you came and uh, just spent some time uh, speaking to us today. Uh, and actually, I was going to wonder if you could just pray for us. Uh, and after Fuji prays, if you have any questions or you'd like to pray with someone up here, you can come up front. Um, but Fuji, would you mind praying for us today? Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for being so patient with us that you intentionally teach us over and over again through Mark and every Sunday about the gospel. Jesus, teach us over and over again. Holy Spirit, would you make the gospel all the more real in our lives? Open our eyes, awaken us, Help us to rediscover, illuminate us, grow us. Father, we pray this uh, for Calvary, Souderton, for Calvary, Quakertown. We thank you for the gospel. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.